Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavuta Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Chagiga Daf Kaf Bet, page twenty-two. Another gentle reminder to sign up for to register to participate in the siyum to sign up to speak. We are eager to hear from all of you. Okay, um, I ha- I will own the fact that I find the text of the Gemara following this Mishnah of these. Uh, ma'alot of these ten stringencies, I find it to be a bit, um, well, difficult. Let's call it difficult. Um, in part because the if the sh- the focus, let's say, is on one ma'ala, but it also gets sidetracked and so on, which we know is what the gemara does, and then it shifts to the next ma'ala, which is, you know, as subtle as a, another simple citation from the Mishnah, and so I found myself on this particular daf getting kind of bogged down. Um, in the interest of not being bogged down, I want to talk on Amud Aleph. I want to talk about um, a machloket that appears here between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. And it speaks back to our definitions that we spoke about a few, I don't know, several days ago, about an Amah Haaretz, who is somebody who is not careful about um, about Tumatara, and a, and a Chaver, who is someone who is careful about Tumatara. Okay, so the Gemara talks about as follows. Um, uh, okay, um, we've been we've been talking about the, again in the context of these malot. We're talking about when you can immerse one vessel inside of another, and that's something that could be done for truma, right? But that and the concern is, or the lack of concern rather, is that if it's an amha aretz's vessels, right, then we're not so worried about them being impure, improperly purified. Because we're not taking truma from the Amehares to begin with, right? Meaning, so this is like a bigger backdrop over, you know, in that in the society of that time, who was trusted for what? And if somebody was already in the category of, you know, you're we're not sure that you're really careful about Tumatara to begin with and we're not gonna rely on you, then there's a greater leniency in the concerns of how they would handle anything, which on the one hand is not very complimentary, and on the other hand is pretty darn practical. Okay. So um, even before Beit Hill and Beit Shammai, I just want to note, right? So then what happens? Like, why are we concerned about this at all? The concern is because people lent and borrowed their stuff, right? So then if you have a chaver, right? A chaver is not going to take the truma from the Amharats, but what would happen if a chaver would borrow, a, you know, a pitcher or something from the Amharats? And how far do we extend that that concern, right? We want to be practical about it. We're not worried about the the handling of the truma by the Amharats. We're not worried about the, you know, potential lack of, of purity in the kalim and the vessels of the Amharats. But what happens when things cross paths, right? Uh, between Amharats and Chavirim. And again, I say this is not so complimentary because we want to say everybody's on equal footing. And yet I think we know that people, some people are more careful with things than other people. Um, even if it comes to, you know, on the most basic practical level, I can think of, you know, some people are more inclined to be, I think about this in terms of lending books, right? Some people leave their books open and the spines break and, and that's exactly what they want to see in a used book. And someone else read the book four times and you can't tell that the that they touched it, right? And so you know, all the more so with Kalim made of ceramics or whatever, where they might break, and all the more so when we're concerned about issues of Tumantara, what happens when people lend and borrow? So, now, let's come to the Machloket of Beit Hill and Beit Shammai, right? That there's, the statement is as follows, Amr Lahem Beit Hill of Beit Shammai, Beit Hill says to Beit Shammai, this is from, you know, goes back to the Mishnah, Mipnei Ma, meaning, 
And Hill says to Bechamai, why are you making the distinction between something that, and this goes, again, it goes back to say, this was a closed vessel. It's made of, you know, cheres, whatever, um, earthenware, right? And it blocks the spread of impurity, even in the room with a corpse, right? Meaning this is a whole, again, a whole big backdrop. And Beit Shammai says, Beit Shammai says, well, that same earthenware vessel is going to be impure because it came in contact with an Amharitz. So, so the distinction then, you know, if you were talking about a closed vessel, you know, where you shouldn't have to worry about it, Beit Shammai says, no, you're worried about it, you know, from the beginning or even before it ever came in, there was a risk of later impurity because it came from impurity to begin with. So, so the rationale here that is that the vessel itself is impure because of the contact with the Yama Aretz and then an impure vessel, meaning once the vessel is impure, it doesn't, it can't be a barrier against impurity, right? Like, Maybe that doesn't need to be said, but but it you know it's very logical. But one second says Beit Hillel, haven't you already made clear that the food and the drink, whatever is inside of this vessel, is going to be pure? Meaning it's been decreed or decided that it is pure. When we when we said that the stuff inside the food or the drink inside is pure, we declared them pure for the amharetz. Meaning, yes, that's pure for an amharetz, but not for the chaver. Which, of course, again is a bit of a strange um, distinction, right? Because because what does it mean for an amharetz to have food that is declared pure that is inside of a vessel that is inherently impure because it's the amharetz's vessel that the chaver can't have the food because it's impure because it's from within the vessel that is impure because it's the Amharitz's vessel. So it, it becomes this like, you know, a real barrier, I would say not a Tuma and Tara barrier, but a barrier between, you know, in the society, um, you know, let's say. Um, and and it the there's something in it that smacks like of condescension almost, right? To the idea that the Amaris can have that food, but the but the Chaver cannot. Um, and I should note that this is specific to a Kli Cheres, right? To the kind of Kli that not every Kli is going to be um, as difficult of a, of a challenge when it comes to purity to Mentara, right? Meaning if you have a metal vessel, you could dunk it pretty easily and you're good to go. You've purified your vessel, right? The problem with uh, earthen an earthenware vessel is that it is not so easily rectifiable. Um, okay, so that's that machloket beit hillam beit shamai, right? Meaning, which goes back to the Mishnah, plays out here in I think you know a pretty strong um, with pretty strong implications for how people are going to handle what they have. And of course, then the Gemara goes on to talk about, you know, how do you purify a vessel if it's made from metal, if it's made from other materials, whatever. And at what point do we say that a Chaver could borrow a metal vessel from a Haaretz and not because then what happens if the earthenware vessel was inside, right? This is that stringency, exactly that of saying, we're not, you know, when do we worry about this being a stringency and when do we not? For a Chaver, we do worry about it. It gets complicated in the practical application because of the potential unknowns of when these ve vessels are in the hands of the Amharat who is not tr trusted at this level 
for the being careful with Tum and Tara. But I'm just going to go back to, I've always been taken by this concept of the Chaber and the Am It's like, it's really the halacha acknowledging that there are going to be different segments in society who do things differently and creating within our halachic system a way that everybody can get along with each other. Like, I, I just, there's a real amount of tolerance that's on this stuff whenever we have these conversations about the chaber and the ama arts. And I just, I, I just, I'm going to go back to that every time we see it. I wonder if it's tolerance or if it breeds intolerance, right? Meaning the Gemara is tolerant of the Amharats. Is the Chaver himself tolerant of the Amharats? Well, but it's giving you a solution. Like, it, it, it's not, like, that's the point. It's not like you can't ever go near the Amharats. Everything the Amharats does is not good. Uh, again, I'm definitely bringing a modern read to this, you know, um, that, you know, because I think we certainly know that that does, is the kind of thing that happens today where we sort of, don't trust, you know, an entire population's kashrut or something like that. That's just not where the Gemara goes with any of this. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I accept that. So I'm going to move on now to the bottom of the daf where we're going to get to what we're calling sort of the second mala, the second stringency here. And here the stringency of Kodesh over Truma is, is we in the Mishnah talked about that separate parts of a Kli become Tame for Truma, but not for Kodesh, right? So in other words, you can have for Truma that one part of the Kli is Tame, but for Kodesh, either the, the Kli is Tame or it's, or it's Tahor. There's not, we don't separate the parts out. So the Gemara says here, Ahurayim Vitoch, right? the outside and the inside. This was listing the different parts of uh, the actual, um, this was listing the different parts of the, um, of, the, of the vessel itself. So we have the outside and the inside, right? Um, so those are considered to be separate kalim for Truma, but not for Kodesh. And so then the Gemara says, So what does the Mishnah mean exactly by this language of outside and inside? And they're going to quote a Mishnah here. It's Kid So this is the Mishnah in Kalim, uh, chapter 25, verse Mishnah 6. If a vessel's outside contracted Tuma, basically through coming in contact with Tame liquids, okay? So through Mashkin. Ahurav Tamein, the outside is Tame, Tocho Ogno Azno Torinit. But it's inside the rim and its ear, meaning like, you know, like a handle, like the handle on a pitcher, for example. Ozno um, Torim, uh, uh, right? And it's handles, okay? So that would be sort of like a straight handle, like you would find like maybe in like a frying pan or something like that. Um, those are considered to be Tahor. But if the inside becomes tame, kulo tame, then the whole thing is tame. So our Mishnah, right, the one that we have here in Chagiga, talks about the outside and the inside and this and this tzvita, right, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, uh, which seems to be, you know, all the different parts of the kli that could be considered different kalim for uh, for truma. So in other words, if the outside contracts tuma from tame liquid. Only the outside is tummy, but not the other parts of the vessel. So theoretically, therefore, you could put something of truma right uh, inside, right? But the but uh, but when it comes to when it comes to kodesh, okay, when it comes to kodesh, right? Even if the outside is uh, is t- is tummy, um, even the inside is going to be tummy too. The whole thing is going to be tummy, and for uh, so that so they're just using this mishnah to sort of prove that point. 
Then the Mishnah once, right, we talked about, the Mishnah talks about this Beit Hatzvita, this, uh, this Svita piece of the clay. So now the Gemara wants to know what that is. My Beit Hatzvita. What is the Beit Hatzvita? I'm a Rav Yehuda. I'm a Shmuel. So Rav Yehuda says the name is Shmuel. Makom should Svoto, right? It's a place by which, so that would sort of be like the handle. He handed her uh, parched grain. So they quote a pasuk uh, to prove this. And this is actually a pasuk from Megillat Root, chapter 2, verse 14, where we, say, we see the same shorash of Tzvita, right? Sadi bet tap, And it means to, to hand something. So that would be the part where you grasp the cleat to give it to somebody else. Rav Asi, I'm a Rav Yochanan. Rav Yassi says the name Rav Yochanan. He has a different definition. It's the place in which delicate individuals um, dip their food. So in other words, there could have been a separate sort of cavity or, or hole in the bottom of a clee where you would put like, let's say, um, Rashi says like you would maybe put like mustard or vinegar and you sort of could dip uh, food, right? Because there were people who didn't want to put those things in other parts of their kalim, like in their cup because the food was in the cup. So this is essentially like children who tell you the ketchup has to go on one area of the plate. They had Caleb that actually <laughs> did that. Okay. And then they have a brisa that relates all this. Tani, Rabbi, Bibi, Kami, De Rav Nachman. Rav Bibi taught, uh, you know, in front of Rav Nachman, all vessels have no distinction between their outside and inside. Whether it has to do with holy things of the temple, right? Or whether it has to do with holy things of the border. So in other words, what it's saying here is that with all holy things, there's basically no, anything that's cut us, there's no distinction between the outside or the inside. Once something becomes tame, right? Even though uh, it could be a rabbinic tuma, right? By the tame liquids, the whole thing becomes tame. And that's basically the halacha that we learned about Kodesh. We don't say that that is true uh, for, for um, we don't say that that's true for, um, for Truma. And then finally, the Gemara says, Amar Leis, Rav Nachman says, Rabbi, what are these holy things of the border? Right? What do you mean by that? It Truma? Do you mean Truma? Right? The hat's not, right? But we learned, right? But we learned, we learned the opposite halacha for Truma, right? That the outside, inside, and the tzvita are actually considered considered separate kalim. So it can't mean Truma. Dilma lochulim shenesu altarat hakodesh kamar. Maybe what you mean by these holy things of the border, you're talking about chulin that was prepared according to the tahara of Kodesh. In other words, you can sometimes have chulin, non-consecrated food that was prepared according to the tahara standards of Kodesh. And maybe that's what we're referring it to because like truma, it can really be eaten anywhere near Eretz Yisrael. You don't have to eat it in the Beit HaMikdash because it's not Kodesh. Right, it's chulin, but it was prepared to a particular standard of tahara. Um, and then it goes on to say, milsa Rabba Right, you reminded me of the statement of Rabba Barhuva. They taught here in the Mishnah, right? These eleven uh, standards of of uh, of, uh, of, uh, of of these like eleven standards, right? These eleven stringencies. Everyone translated. the first six. Right, basically applied to Bain Lakodesh, Bain Chulin, Shinasu Al Tarada Kodesh, both to Kodesh and Tahulin that were prepared according to the Tara of Kodesh. Achronod Lakodesh. The last five apply only to Kodesh about Lola Chulin Shinasu Al Tarada Kodesh. 
but not according to the Kulin that were prepared that way. Um, and that's basically their discussion of the second one here. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I, I just think the, the discussion here is interesting to see sort of like some of this terminology, the different parts of the Kli, uh, this whole concept of sort of having, uh, you know, this Kadshe uh, Hagvul. I mean, again, as we're reading these, and I guess this is the other thing I'll go back to constantly, this is just so not part of our halakhic world at all. And again, you can see how this could have been all consuming. It had to do with food prep, what your utensils were like in your house. Like people really had to pay attention to this. Kind of grateful we don't have to pay attention to it. <laughs> I, I find keeping kosher half the time is hard. I'm always yelling at everybody in my house that they're like, you know, n- n- making things, you know, not doing things always the right way or the way I like it to be done. Um, but this is really, this is detailed. I don't know. And do you feel that way? Like it's, it's, it's detailed. It's a lot. I feel that it's details that are, this is not like a, a two for for dummies, right? Like there's no pictures to say this one is okay. This version is okay. And this version is not okay. Now maybe there's a book out there that does that. And if not, you know, in a time when this would be relevant, maybe we would have books published. I assume we would have books published that would provide us with all these details. But in the absence of that, where we're, we're crafting the images of exactly what this means. I don't mean images. I mean like the, the know-how of what it would mean to what you can avoid, what you must avoid, what you can do. I find it, in fact, quite challenging, yes, to keep it all straight and, and then to internalize it so that you intuitively keep it straight because wouldn't we all want to be that chaver and maybe it would be much easier to be the Amaris. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 